Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Man, how many people tune in at 10 o'clock to hear that? They anticipate it, and once they hear it, the they, can, they can settle in. Yeah. I'm so excited about myself. As you should be, too. Thank you. It's Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Welcome in. Darren Pang, 1015. Hello, Panger. Hey, Panger. Yeah, he's got some explaining to do. Well, he did address it on my Instagram, in yeah. fairness. I don't know if you saw that. I did, I did. He told us not to even bother showing up for the Chris Nagel match. And he tipped his cap. He doffed his cap, actually, is what I would describe it as. And so I'm sure he will be, because he's a sportsman, he's a gentleman, and I'm sure he will address it uh, when, when he joins us at 10.15. Blues and Kraken tonight as Game 2 finally occurs pregame at 8 p.m. here on 101 ESPN. Darren Pang with us every Wednesday here on Balloon Party. Uh, Action Jackson, uh, looking forward to talking it over with him. Plus, we have the Piddle series of questions on today's program. We welcome you to get involved at 65780. 65780. It's your comfort service text line. And you are also welcome to uh, use the 101 ESPN app to leave a mic drop. Any any mic drops? uh... None for us. Oh, really? Yeah. But they're like, this is not for the, the nitwit hour. Right. They address it to usually Randy. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Isn't he vacationing in the Hamptons this week? I know, which is, you know, he can get it while we're on vacation. We get nothing. Um, but, yeah, there are none for us sitting there in there right now. But hopefully that'll change. Send them in. I uh, was talking with uh, Alexa and Carrie and Matt Rocchio as we were coming in and they were coming out. And they uh, were talking about uh, Alexa being very confident, as I guess Randy might be as well, that the Cardinals are going to add big this offseason to the payroll. That would be music. That's music to my ears. That would be wonderful. I wonder what direction they would go if they were to. There's this article in the Post-Dispatch today about Paul DeYoung talking about how he feels like he's close and wants to. I mean, that just has to end. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, that has to end. At a certain point, you have to disregard the contract and realize that the player just isn't there. Yeah, I just I just think it's got to be over. Um, so uh, we'll talk it over with Panger 1015, and we will uh, look forward to interacting with you on a variety of topics here. It is the Yankees and the Astros in the American League. I'm disappointed in that, even though I like seeing the Yankees in there. So now that it's, I just wanted to see, I just don't like this. Like I don't like the playoff format, Jackson. Yeah, but you did get one and two in the American League. Yeah, so maybe maybe there's merit to it. Um, uh, meanwhile, the Phillies and Zach Wheeler defeated the Padres two nothing, and that Zach Wheeler continues to carve up hitters in the postseason. Yeah, he looked incredible last night. That was borderline unhittable. Yeah, it was. He was nasty. And uh, and you had you had kind of another Cardinals. Zach Wheeler, game one, if it takes you back, if you want to go back, and I don't think too many people want to go back to it 12 days ago, where the Padres pulled him, and I think he was only at 85 pitches, and he was virtually unhittable. Mm -hmm. And that was a big discussion on the broadcast as to whether or not that was the right move. And he was deeper into the game than Quintana was when Marmol pulled him. And if I'm I'm looking at the the Phillies' bullpen, and it strikes me as a weakness— 
they certainly didn't have somebody the caliber of Helsley in the back end there, and uh, they went with uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez, and uh, and he was able to get through the inning with no issues, and they were able to close him out, and that wraps it up. So game one goes to the Phillies. I said here on the radio multiple times I could see the Dodgers in the World Series. I could see the Padres in the World Series. I could see the Braves in the World Series. I could see the Mets in the World Series. I could see the Cardinals in the World Series. The one team I couldn't see in the World Series, the Phillies. So that's how I hope everybody knew to then go to whatever establishment it is that they wager. I'd personally recommend FanDuel. And uh, then take the Phillies to win the World Series. That is what I do for you. I eliminate the teams who I think can, and then I give you the team who can't, and then they go and win the World Series. I remember vividly after you saying, I can't see the Phillies win the World Series, you go, and now the Phillies will win the World Series. Yeah. So that's what we will do as a promo. Yeah. I nailed another one. Uh, so there you go uh, as the game two will take place this afternoon in San Diego. Oh, going back. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. I like, it. I like a day game CS. Well, they do it to not have a television conflict. Right. And it makes sense, and I think it's a good move. So the uh, Yankees and Astros will be tonight in Houston for oh, so game the Yankees got to immediately fly out to Houston? Yeah, there was very limited celebration. It's kind of like we expected to do this, Yeah, yeah. so we did it. it actually, in all honesty, they're like, we probably should have done this sooner, so let's, uh, let's make this quick. Uh, Tim, when is sports betting going to be legal in Missouri? Uh, that's a great question. I would say, so we're sitting here on October 19th, 2022, that in my mind, without question, by the end of 2024, but I still think it could be sooner than that. Yeah, I I, I think maybe by even the middle of next football season, mm. you know, you could be placing bets in Missouri. It's a big miss. To, it's a big miss. A lot of money out there not being uh, used by Missouri, so the sooner the better, in my opinion. Well, the, the, the bigger issue from a Missouri tax revenue standpoint is... The neighboring states, not all of them, but the but many, yeah, um, have now legalized, regulated, and so this is tax dollars going. If you're on the west side of the state to Kansas, and yep. if you're on the east side of the state, and many of you just live in the metro east as it is, going to Illinois. Yep. So it's just a miss, and it was a uh, dog and pony show when they tried to get that taken care of this year in Jefferson City. So uh, for the moment, it is not. But uh, even even if I'm not wagering, I like to look at numbers right. as far as projections, live bets, prop bets, just for my, like, tonight. I mean, I doubt I am betting on the Blues and Kraken, but I'm just like, oh, I'm curious what the number is. Blues are minus 140. Mm. Total is six. Uh, so, you know, it's just one of those things. Bennington, you're expecting to see a net. Grubauer, expecting to see him in net for the Kraken, and that's what the number is based on the, the, the goaltending. We had Jeremy Rutherford on uh, TMA about an hour ago, and they expect the same lines as you saw on Saturday night against the Blue Jackets. So uh, from that standpoint, I just kind of like to see where things are, and if a number stands out to me as being weird like this past weekend, I was stunned. I think I said it on the radio, so this doesn't sound like I'm saying it after the fact. I know I certainly was talking about it on our pick six gambling podcast i couldn't believe that tennessee was a seven point underdog yeah that's crazy it's crazy okay so you agree with me seven point dog at home they're a top 10 team and they're but they're a really good team and i just couldn't figure it out so because it was so eye-opening i thought i must be missing something because to me, that's a, that's a line that was like, I get Alabama being a favorite, but I would have put it in the two and a half to three and a half point range. So when it was seven, and then by kickoff, it goes to nine, Jeez. I'm thinking something's got to be up that I'm just not aware of. It's that off. 
Yeah. And um, I see some text people asking me for my gambling. My gambling guy is is not somebody who he first off he just doesn't think he'd be good on air, and also I think internally and by my gambling guy I'm talking about the guy who's become quite wealthy from daily fantasy and, and making plays, and it's all based on a spreadsheet. Uh, I don't think he. I, I think if for him, it's like when I played poker. You don't want to give away the secrets. Why would you give away the secret to the sauce if you're you right? Know, exactly. You don't you don't care about any attention. You just want to make money and live a nice life. You right. know it's, that's the name of the game. And uh, but I'll ask him where he is on things. And on Saturday morning, he said my spreadsheet, the game it loves the most is Tennessee getting seven. But I can't figure it out because it's so strange to me that the public is all over it. The public yeah, exactly. being like the square betters. Yep. And uh, and my spreadsheet loves it, and that's not usually the way that the whole thing works. So uh, looking at numbers here for this coming weekend, Action Jackson, Missouri is a 15.5-point favorite against Vanderbilt on Saturday for homecoming. Yeah, yeah, I think— And you will be in attendance. I will be there. I will be there supporting the Tigers. And, you know, I think if the defense starts out well, similar to how they started out against Georgia, I think they'll absolutely cover that number. My only— concern is like if it's kind of a back and forth game the offense just isn't really strong enough to get that big lead so that would kind of give me hesitation but like by the first or second defensive set I'll have a better idea so in that sense you know Vandy in the first half and their spread what seven and a half I kind of like that more than I like the overall game of Missouri covering 15 and a half I just don't the Missouri defense I buy in I uh, question the uh the offense's ability. And by the way, that number has since, this is the stuff that I monitor, it's dropped to 14 points. All right, so people like Vandy. It's one of those things. It makes me more lean on Missouri then. Or the Sharps are moving the line to get it under two touchdowns, and then they hammer it when it does. Yeah. Just that's, the, that's kind of the metagame. I'm just telling you, that's the way that the thing works. Uh, Tim, I've been tailing MN Greek on Twitter, and he's 69% so far this year. Wow. That's outstanding. Yeah, and if boy. that's just NFL, that's that's oh that can God. make you a millionaire if you're playing in the contests in Las Vegas. 69% against the spread, that is world-class numbers there. Yeah, that's covering the juice and then some. I would uh, tell you that you're probably taking a lot of underdogs if you're doing that. Uh, so, uh, Darren Pang is going to join us coming up on the other side of the break. Blues and Kraken tonight. Looking forward to talking it over with Panger. Plus, we have Jackson's uh, series of questions here on Balloon Party as well. And your texts are welcome. The Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And you are also welcome to use the 101 ESPN app to leave a mic drop for us. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. The program is called Balloon Party. This is 101 ESPN. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time to talk blues hockey with Darren Pang. Holy jump and what a save! Refreshed by Urban Chestnut Brewing Company and their Urban Underdog Lager. Roast. Welcome back. Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you on the program. And it is our pleasure to welcome to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line our guest every Wednesday on the show, ladies and gentlemen, Darren Pang. What a gallery. Really a, a gallery that's charged up here today. Good morning, Panger. Well, well, good morning, Ben Crenshaw. <laughs> Gentle Ben. Soft, soft hands. Yeah, I, I, you're, that, you're like at the Ryder Cup when you said, I, I, I got a feeling. I, 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 I got to tell you, feeling. Panger, and Jackson can vouch for this, I sent that YouTube clip to the boys the night before the match yep. after I played a practice round from the tips with Nagel. 
last Tuesday. I sent that. I think you're hacking into my stuff, and if so, I apologize for the things you've seen. No, I well, I've, I've checked on the putter you, you you're using. You're using a ping putter. It was it was it was not not legal. That was <laughs> Nagel putter. Nagel did count my clubs in my bag, and I had 15 clubs. So he is looking for some kind of ruling from the USGA. Well, yeah, they've already called. That, that there, There's going to be a replay, and I'm going to do the play-by-play. Oh, that'll be great. That'd be awesome. <laughs> there was a huge all, gallery out there last Wednesday. I, there were like, uh, we like 100 a, people following along. We have, we got a great membership over there at Meadowbrook. They love their golf, and, uh, you know, so I'm pumped up that you're uh, that you're able to be there and, and win, and, and obviously I was uh, I was wrong. I was wrong. I bet against you. I told you to go in there and have a couple of cold underdogs with, with Todd the bartender. Todd the bartender. And, and uh, it wasn't to be. So congratulations to you guys. You deserve it. And I'll have a talk with Nagel about the, his performance. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to scold him. Uh, yeah, we just, uh, the, the putter was hot that day, and there was nothing he could do. It wasn't his fault. We got very, very, very lucky. And he wants a rematch, and I am scared that he is going to Stephen Ames, Tiger Woods us yeah. when, <laughs> when, when, that, when that time comes. Uh, Darren Pang with us here every Wednesday on 101 ESPN. Blues opening up the season with a win, then they have to sit around for a few more days, and now Blues Blues and Kraken tonight in Seattle. Anything that stand out to you, either catching your eye or surprising you from what we saw on Saturday night in the victory, Panger? Well, you know, I I, I kind of anticipated, and, and uh, you know, I'm with John Kelly here in, in Seattle, and we, we've talked a little bit about the way that, you know, the way that the Blues not, not played the game, but what you felt they were going to play the game. They hadn't played at all. Columbus had played, what, three and four uh, they played some tough competition, and I, I just figured that there'd be some loose moments defensively. They're trying to figure out uh, a little bit different structure in the defensive zone, and um, it's it's not a big deal, like Craig Berube even said. It's not, you know, we're not reinventing the defensive zone, but we are trying to tweak it. And I thought there were times in that game where they, they were just a little uncertain. They weren't on their toes, and they let a lot of pucks get to, towards the net, and there wasn't a lot of coverage in front of the net. So, so that's kind of the one thing that I would, think uh when the team left they worked on the d zone coverage and they'll work on it again this morning and and then they'll you know what they'll do they'll get right back into the power play again and the penalty kill the special team so important and again last year they were number what two on the power play number five on the penalty kill mm-hmm. they're the only team in the nhl that had the you know both in the top five so i, I know they want to keep that sharp and especially without david Perron, you know here and because he was so instrumental last year in the power play. Yeah, and he's off to a quick start in Detroit, which uh, keeps Blues fans who are missing him talking, naturally. That is uh, the, the case with things. Speaking of a, a former Blue, Vili uh, Husso struggled uh, against the Kings on Monday. Now he got a shutout in his first start, so we're not suddenly down on him. But uh, what do you think of how much a difference a team system can make for a goalie and how much the goalie need to change his approach based on the team in front of him? What kind of things... Uh, would he possibly be changing? Are there some types of goalies that just don't fit with some types of systems on teams? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's huge. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. You can take all the numbers, and I'll use an example, and that's Thomas Bryce that was in Detroit for two years after being in you know, after being in Long Island, tight, stingy, like really gr- good checking, defending team where his numbers were phenomenal. I think he had you know, stopped 92% of the shots. Then he goes to Detroit, and he, he can't even get towards 90%. Because under their former head coach, I mean, they just they just couldn't get things going on the on the defensive zone. I mean, their coverage was loose. There was no commitment. There was no structure. And you know, the Blues have that. But yeah. there's still going to be time where the Blues, Tim. You know, every team's going to 
you know, going to take advantage of some weakness that they see, or maybe your right D's a little slower than your left D that night. Maybe you're not holding the line and closing gaps. I mean, there's a, a million different things and reasons why there would be a good chance against. But in answering your question, certainly there's going to be tougher challenges for Billy Huso in Detroit um, than, than you're going to see even Thomas Bryce here in St. Louis just because of the commitment to defending your own net. Do you think it's advantageous to kind of ease into the season the way the Blues have, or do you think this is kind of a tough spot for them to not have a rhythm with not starting with everybody else and then starting and then stopping for a few days and then picking up the pace with the West Coast trip? How do you how do you analyze you know something? There's nothing you can control about it, but it is a, a unique no. set of circumstances for the Blues versus most of the other teams in the league. Yeah, it, it is unique, and I think if they weren't a, you know, a good veteran team that's won before, I think maybe there'd be some, some anxious moments and, uh, and, and maybe some issues, but I don't think there's issues with this team. All I can say is they're just, they're just eager to play games. That, that's all. Yeah. I mean, but before you know it, they're going right, to be right back into it again, and they're going to be playing, you know, they're going to be playing six games in eight. They're going to be playing uh, – you, you you know the schedule. I mean, it's going to be just a grind for them, and they're going to forget about the first uh, week of the season when they weren't playing whatsoever. So that's going to be uh, that. You know, that's that's going to be one of those issues that they're going to just have to deal with. But here here we have tonight in Seattle. Seattle's lost some games. Uh, they're a team that hasn't f- found their way. The Blues were three and zero against them last year, and now you know. Then you turn into Edmonton. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Then you turn into Winnipeg. That's tough. They're playing great hockey. Winnipeg is. They've they've got a little change over there. And then you know you turn around and you, you come home and you're playing Edmonton. So that's a, it's it's going to be a big wake up uh, call coming in here. So I'm, I'm sure that uh, all the talk about them not playing at all will be uh, quickly ended here after we finish the game tonight. Yeah, you're you're exactly right about that. You are in, in Seattle where the Blues will take on the Kraken tonight. Uh, a lot of attention paid to Las Vegas and the way that market received the game, and of course the quick start the franchise had right out of the gate. Seattle, a passionate sports city. How is the game resonating with uh, the Pacific Northwest fans so far? I think it's great. I mean, you listen to the fans the other night, even in their game against Carolina, they were, I mean, they were jumping, Tim. They were, it's a great building. Uh, there's a lot of money here in Seattle. Um, you can tell with, uh, you know, the buildings that they have, the individual buildings with the, what, with the Major League Baseball, with the NFL, with the, with the hockey team, probably soon to be a, an NBA team here yeah. as well. So, I mean, it is great. If you, if you get a chance to come down here, it's, it's phenomenal to see. Now, this is, I think, my fourth, fourth time coming down here to Seattle to uh to do a game and tonight i'll do it for tnt and i'm i'm just pumped up for it it's a great venue it's a really good atmosphere down there hey I mean, this is this is not related to the blues of the nhl but we were talking about youth hockey and uh and my son started skating and then people started talking about how early people started skating. i'm just curious for you when did you start skating do you have any idea what age you started skating i started skating around i've got a picture of me standing on the ice around 18 or 20 months oh my goodness yeah and it's uh it was yeah it was um phenomenal that uh my mom and my mom and my dad got that picture of me and my sister and and i'm like how old was i and it's written on the back and it said 18 months but i'm just standing there but i'm on skates and they're like no you were like walking you were rock solid i now playing the game i probably started playing at five um i always played outdoor hockey because i could walk one block away to play outdoor hockey and uh, and I'd always play forward. I never played goal. I hated being a goaltender. My dad stuck me in the net every <laughs> for a long time. And so, yeah, it was brutal. I mean, what anxiety and and having to deal with, 
you know, winning and losing and giving up a bad goal and parents looking at you. Oh my God, it's a, it was a terrible feeling. So what did? What, so how did the goaltender thing happen? If you were a forward and all of a sudden your dad sticks you in there, you're not necessarily enjoying the affair. <laughs> well, what happened was we had great teams in in this little city of Nepean, which is outside of Ottawa. And I mean great teams. Like when I was six years old, I was on a travel team. That's when he stuck me in the net. And I just happened to be the best goalie that I could I could catch a puck from anywhere. Being a little guy, I was I had quick hands, so I could catch anything. My dad would throw pitches at me because he was a big senior league ball, uh, pitcher. And so I'd be in the backyard, and I could catch anything he threw at me. And, and I think that's what gave me the idea. Stick him in the net. He'll catch any puck that comes near him. And so that, for, for the year that I played with Tyke, Adam Peewee, I had a guy that went second overall to the L.A. Kings, Doug Smith. The next year, I had a guy that went 13th overall to the Calgary Flames, Danny Quinn. And then when I got older, I had a, uh, I had a fourth overall pick of the Red Wings, and that was Steve Eiserman. So, oh, I, mean, within, I mean, within our little area, we had such good teams that there was nowhere for me to I mean, I couldn't just be a forward and not be at that level. I had to be a goalie, so that's what happened. Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. Yeah, what's going on here in St. Louis over the last, I don't know, I, I guess 20-plus-ish years is such a credit to the Blues alumni with the youth hockey movement in St. Louis. Obviously, it's translated to the NHL, but just the caliber of the game. It's a totally different deal than when I was growing up here in the 80s and 90s, what it is now in St. Louis. This is a, this is a machine. Well, you, I, I would imagine you see that and you travel the country, so you get a chance to, to compare and contrast. Oh, the coaching in St. Louis is far superior than what I had growing up. I mean, um, the, the passion and the dedication from the John Wensinks to the Blake Dunlops to Al McGinnis and Chaser and Kachucks yeah. and... Jack Brown, like it just it just continues to roll along too. Because now we got Andy McDonald and we got Jamal Mayers, even referee Tim Peel. They're all involved in it, and 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 I think that care and that that want to teach the kids the right way and to you know to guide them and to give them hope, um, I think is phenomenal. So um, credit to them and credit to the Blues with the Hockey Hall of Fame and what they've done. I I just think it's uh, it's just such a great city. It's just such a it's a hidden gem, just like our golf courses. Amen. Boy, that's a perfect way to describe it. Yeah, I, uh, it's something else. And Chase told, I remember telling me that it's one thing when you're 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 the coach on the team. You know, might have had a cup of coffee with the JV team in high school. Sometimes parents might come and chirp them a little bit. But it's another thing if your coach spent you know ten years in the NHL. Uh, usually, the parents kind of understand it might be in their best interest just to kind of stay in their lane. And so that has helped the uh, process here as well. That's exactly right. And I think that's what uh, even I found uh, when I was in minor hockey uh, in the Illinois area. It's like if a parent has a problem, well, come talk to us. We'll probably put it succinctly to you as to why that player didn't play. And it might not be the, the, the player on the ice. You have to describe how maybe the player was acting not very nice in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was being a bad teammate on the bench. Maybe mm-hmm. his shifts were too long. And I think once you explain that to the parents, I think then there's a there's just a better understanding of, of communicating and letting them know where where you're at and just being as transparent as possible. Because I think that's where we're at nowadays. I mean, you have to have transparency and you have to be as honest as the day is 24 hours, I think. Amen. That's a great analogy. What's going on here in St. Louis really is phenomenal when it comes to it. Darren Pang every Wednesday here on Balloon Party 101 ESPN Blues and Kraken tonight in Seattle. Panger, always enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for the time, sir. 
My pleasure, winner. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> there he is, Darren Pang with us here on 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you to the top of the hour. Jackson has prepared a wide variety of questions that we will tend to, ranging from Harrison Bader's appearance now in the ALCS. Bob Costas receiving criticism for his call of the ALDS and also the decline of athletes quick, fast, and a hurry specific to what's going on in Denver with Russell Wilson and his contract. All those topics coming up in the second half of Balloon Party. This is 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back, Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan with you to the top of the hour. Action Jackson has prepared what I would describe as a banquet. Mm. Yeah, real charcuterie board of questions here. Oh, wow. So central corridor of you. You Uh, I'm going to let you play the role of Sadie Hawkins at our dance. You have sent questions regarding Harrison Bader. You have sent questions regarding Russell Wilson and huge contracts for teams. So it's not necessarily Russell Wilson specific, but it's talking about huge contracts for players where teams go, oh, goodness, what have we done? (laughs) And then finally... Uh, Mike Francesa, famous host from WFAN in New York, going after Bob Costas for his call of the American League Division Series in which the Yankees closed out the Guardians last night in the Bronx. Jackson, uh, you call. Whatever topic you bring up, I'm I'm intrigued to handle here and, and interact with the audience at 65780. Sweet. I... Don't I'm, don't apologize. You already did the Celtics and Warriors up wins, so you you, you can't. Yeah, clear already. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll go with Bader. That, that's that's All what right. I, I think that's the most relevant. It's what interests me the most right now. Okay, here's the question: If Harrison Bader proves to be an effective offensive threat for the Yankees, do you think we will see any shakeup from a coaching standpoint? Mainly Jeff Albert. You can't go wrong saying the words Jeff and Albert. I know on this uh, radio station, Bader would join a somewhat healthy list of players who went on to perform better offensively after leaving the Redbirds. At what point is it circumstance slash ballpark, and when is it a coaching issue? Well, for the record, um, with regards to Harrison Bader specifically, I am a fan of him personally. Professionally, I loved the trade from the Cardinal standpoint. I also think it can be one of the rare trades where both teams get what they wanted slash needed. But I loved it from the Cardinal standpoint because I thought the Cardinals needed Jordan Montgomery more than they needed Harrison Bader. And that's not me not liking Harrison Bader so much as it's me going, Harrison Bader isn't going to provide the pop that the Cardinals need. And the Cardinals need some uh, pitching and some pop. They got the pitching. They didn't get the pop. Now, of course, if you're going to go and do hot takes, short, small sample size theater, you go, look what he's done over the last five games. And I would say I understand, but, you know, that is not what I anticipate Harrison Bader doing in New York. And if he does, it would stun me, and that would have nothing to do with Jeff Albert. Just like I don't go, oh, Matt Carpenter, you know, became the second coming of Aaron Judge. That must have been on Jeff Albert. I just don't see it. I I don't see it that way. Now, regarding who has left the Cardinals where you thought they weren't achieving what they could do offensively, and then they go on to achieve that which you were hoping to see them do offensively elsewhere, that's where I would focus. And and so to, to reiterate, I don't see Bader as this offensive superpower 
um, okay, great. He he went off in in the postseason in this series. It's just not something that I anticipate him doing for his career. I don't really think that's why the Yankees acquired him. They acquired him because they had a void in center field defensively, and they viewed Montgomery as a surplus who wouldn't get a start in the postseason. So, with regards to the other players who have left here, and you are correct, there is a long list. That is something that I'd keep an eye on. And then more recently, to look at what's going on with the Cardinals offensively, it goes back to 2019 against the Nationals, 2020 against the Padres. It's one game against the Dodgers, but it's only two games against the Phillies. And you saw how the offense performed whenever they would deal with somebody other than some of the bottom-tier teams. Now, what you're seeing Zach Wheeler doing here. Uh, so far in the postseason, has to be catching some Cardinal fans' eyes because now you saw him do it again right. last night against the Padres, and that was that was a clinic. Yeah, he was that carving was them super up. impressive. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that softens the blow of losing a game where it was looking like you were about to beat Zach Wheeler. Yeah, but um, it also speaks to you might be witnessing what we saw in 2014, for example. The Cardinals were on the receiving end of Madison Bumgarner, and then he went to the other side of the state and did it to the Royals. Uh, I don't know if you would see the Phillies trot him out there as often as the Giants did in the NLCS and the World Series against the Cardinals but uh, and Royals, but uh, Zach Wheeler was borderline unhittable against a, a pretty stout lineup and a very fired-up ballpark last night at Petco. So uh, from that standpoint, I look at Jeff Albert, and I look at that as something that I'm not super high on, but I don't view Harrison Bader as one of my exhibits in the argument. Yeah, yep. I think that's, uh, I, yeah, I, I think the Bader thing is, you know, let's let's wait for a whole season before we start talking about him being a real offensive threat. He still really struggles to hit that low-breaking ball, which has kind of been his Achilles heel all his career. Um, and with the Phillies and Wheeler, too, kind of what you're saying about softening the blow, when we talked about this before the playoffs started, you know, there's almost like a checklist of what good playoff teams, teams who are successful in the playoffs do, and it's get hot at the right time. The Phillies are clearly red hot. And a couple guys step up who you didn't think you were outside of your stars. And in this case, it's a pitcher who's not even really their ace. They have Aaron Nola still. And so when you have Wheeler pitching like this, the Phillies have all the makings right now of a team that does really, really well in the playoffs. So in my mind, the blow is a little softened. I, I, I'll, I'll say it again, even though I know at this point it might sound ridiculous because they've won how many games at this point in the postseason? I guess six games, and they are getting close to the halfway point of uh, what you need seven more mm-hmm. to win the World Series, I still just, I'm just not sold on the Phillies. Mm-hmm. And I realize that at this point it might be a punchline, and maybe I'll be saying it as they're having their World Series parade <laughs> in Philadelphia. kind of like me and Albert with the 700 home runs. You were going to dig it no matter what. Well, I mean, a lot of it has to do with, I just don't, I just, I, it may, but like I said, maybe they will prove me wrong. I just don't buy in. Part because Harper coming in was not hot. Now mm-hmm. he's picked it up. Yep. He picked it up with a bomb off of Miles Michaelis in game two. He went opposite field last night. Maybe it's happening. And maybe the month of September was uh, was just a slump. And he, unlike Goldschmidt, was able to correct it. And you have Real Muto. You have Hoskins. You have Schwarber, who hit a monster, absolute monster wow. home run. I just think at some point, and we talked a little bit about this before the Helsley thing happened, that I worry from a Philadelphia, if I'm a a Phillies fan, that that back end of the bullpen is going to get them. Mm -hmm. And I just look at that as a real weakness. I thought it might happen last night. Um, He pulled Wheeler after, I think, 85 pitches. 
Sounds right. And there was a lot of criticism on that broadcast with regards to that. And Sir Anthony Dominguez and Alvarado closed it out. But uh, I just, you know, you had Zach Eflin closing out games against the Cardinals. I I just am not, they don't have hater out there. And I feel like that's a potential um, fire squad situation. For the record, uh, he went six and a third against the Cardinals and allowed two hits. Uh, Wasn't dominant by any means against the Braves, but he wasn't terrible. Uh, He went six innings and allowed three earned runs, but only four hits. And um, in the last night against the Padres, seven innings, one hit baseball with eight strikeouts, one walk. Each time out so far in the postseason, three starts, he's allowed only one walk in each start and has 17 strikeouts. So that's what you're getting from Zach Wheeler. So, yeah, the Padres are going to have to find a way to get it done against Aaron Nola today. The thing about the Padres is it's not like they toss out some randoms. No, they got some good pitches. Blake Snell will be going for the Padres today. Uh, so there it is. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. 65780. Action Jackson posing the question. I think it's amusing how much people in this town believe the hitting coach can affect the performance of hitters. If you want to blame anyone, you should look at the front office where they continue to spend most of their draft capital on toolsy players with a lot of swing and miss. It shouldn't be surprising that this team struggles to make contact when they clearly value guys who struggle to make contact before they even enter the league. That is from the three one four. Uh, Tim, I think Ajax is really downplaying Zach Wheeler. He was a top five finisher in the Cy Young last year. He might not be their ace, but he's definitely option one B at the worst. Action Jackson, anything you like to say there? I, I mean, I think that kind of just bolsters my point is that you have a guy who's not technically your ace, but is pitching like one, and that's really good for the playoffs. Now, if you're going down that checklist, kind of to what you were saying, you know, the Cardinals certainly in 06 and 11 had really good bullpens, and the Phillies do not. So, you know, that's one thing that they might have to navigate around or it might prove to be an Achilles heel down the road. Uh, Sam, wasn't Wheeler the Mets pitcher that Mo wouldn't trade Bader for in 2019, I believe? Uh, it was uh, Bader or O'Neill. Yeah. There are unfortunately a number of these. I go back to Manny Ibar in the 1990s, actually, for <laughs> Kevin Brown. Um, he sometimes, sometimes makes it sound like it's like 55 to 65% of the time. I feel like it's more than 65% of the time organizations overvalue prospects and already like right now just right now we're talking less than three months from the trade deadline and the soto conversation and however serious it was i don't know but certainly one of the conversations among fans because we don't know what the conversation was amongst the organizations or between the organizations i should say between the nationals and cardinals was about dylan carlson yeah and people i just want to part with dylan carlson and hey maybe dylan carlson turns into something incredible Mm -hmm. but the cardinals had to stave off the philadelphia phillies in game two and he wasn't in the starting lineup right this is this is getting to the point of being a red alert situation here and so i just don't understand um you know the boy can't possibly part with dylan carlson okay i mean maybe but what has he done that makes you go we can't possibly part with him and I think a lot of it just becomes hype from organizations. And when do people really get a chance to watch minor league baseball to, to really have a good grasp on it? Because what we've seen at the major league level has not backed up the hype that he had to date. 
uh, when he was first coming up in, in 2020. So from that standpoint, it's something to keep an eye on because there have been a number of these guys over the years where, oh, I'm not going to trade him, and then you see what winds up playing out. All right, it is uh, 1047 in St. Louis. This time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Uh, Jackson, let's tend to the Costas criticism on the other side of yeah. the break. I mean, he is, from my standpoint, I thought he was kind of considered infallible in the broadcasting right. world. But uh, he got ripped in the New York Post for his broadcasts. Uh, and we'll talk about that on the other side of the commercial break. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Final segment of Balloon Party here for October 19th, 2022. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you on the program. We welcome you to get involved. Uh, Bob Costas Jackson, who I consider to be one of the greatest of all time. Agreed. I love Bob Costas. But just not just not even just as a play-by-play guy. I, I, from an interviewing standpoint. Yeah. His stories are incredible. As a guest, as a host. Yeah. He's phenomenal, and uh, he was in a rare position, not that I I can't imagine he cares in any capacity, where he was getting ripped for his uh, call of the Yankees and Guardians um, in the uh, ALDS, and uh, and that led to your question uh, regarding... Costas. Uh, This comes in the New York Post. Andrew Marchand talking about how it was too wordy, citing Mike Francesa. Not that Mike Francesa is Mr. Play-by-Play, but for the criticism that he was receiving for uh, saying a bunch of things that listeners already knew. But as Costas pointed out, and he did an interview in Cleveland and discussed it, he said, yeah, if you're a New York Yankees fan, of course you know all about this stuff. But you have to understand, we're broadcasting nationally, and a lot of people don't know some of the ins and outs of players beyond take your pick of whomever. Aaron Judge certainly being at the top of the list. Uh, So your question is this. I was discussing a similar thing with my brother on Sunday, and Mike Francesa's criticism of Bob Costas brought this to mind, especially with baseball. I feel like national broadcasters are somewhat hung out to dry because fans are so used to their local teams, and the national guys just don't have the insights. My brother and I both agreed that A-Rod would be amazing if he picked a team and did color for them for a full season. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think it's tough for national guys to get the proper information and context to call games at the highest level? Um, I like your question. It's one that I, I, I always tend to get these questions that I could go an hour on right <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Um, but, but specifically, there's a psychological element, and it is not a St. Louis thing. It's an any location thing whether it be for hockey um, or for baseball, specifically hockey and baseball. I know it goes on in the NBA as well. We don't experience that here in St. Louis, where you have multiple nights of games per week, and you have an expectation after 82 or 162 for a way a broadcast sounds, because the broadcast is understandably... um, taken through the hometown team's perspective. And then you get to the playoffs, and it sounds completely different. So even though it might not be a quote-unquote bad broadcast, it sounds different, and at a time of great emotion, there are no greater games importance than the postseason, all of a sudden you have a change to how you see and hear the broadcast. And for some people, therefore, they associate that change with either a bias 
or that it is bad. So that is what I think Joe Buck dealt with for a long time. Yep. And now he won't be dealing with. Right. Because if you're watching the NFL on television, you're watching a network broadcast. There are no local broadcasts unless you're talking about the handful of preseason games. As far as Alex Rodriguez goes, I was re- I really enjoyed him. And maybe that's an unpopular opinion in St. Louis. I really enjoyed him on the Cardinals and Phillies games. I did too. I thought he was good. I thought he was Romo-esque with seeing what was coming. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it, even though the games themselves weren't particularly enjoyable. I suppose asking the question of wouldn't it be great if he did a year long, I can't believe he even does what he does right, right now. Right. I mean, if you have whatever he has, right. certainly hundreds yeah. of millions, yeah. maybe more, I guess it's just a way to just kind of do something. Right, get up in the morning, have purpose in a sense. But, right. I mean, he owns a, a an NBA team. Like he's He certainly has plenty to do. Right. So, I, yeah, I mean, if he did, it would be wonderful, yeah. but I just don't see him doing it. And that's why it, it always kind of surprises me when I see these guys who have made millions and millions and millions of dollars um, broadcasting, but I suppose it gets to, you want to have something to do. I had this, um, I don't know if it matters who, who told me it, but a former Cardinal told me, so one of the things that people don't understand, and it can come off the wrong way, um, and it was a, just me and him BSing one time, that we are done if we're lucky we get to 36 or 37. Most guys are done before then. And we then, at that point, most players who got to play that long, because certainly some guys get a cup of coffee and they don't make, right. relatively speaking, enough to live off of for the rest of their lives. But if you did make it to your mid-30s in Major League Baseball and you're playing in this era, you most likely are set for life. Yeah, you're good. Unless you really spent it poorly. Uh, that They're bored. Yeah, they have that competitive fire. They love, they love being around the game. Kind of gives you a little piece of both of that. Or you just want to get into something else in business, which is sure. something Alex Rodriguez has gotten into. And so it's not a case of, oh, I need the job. It's a case of I need something to keep my mind active. And so I'm not just, you know, because it might sound great after 15 years of traveling the country and, and dealing with media. And, you know, if you do pay attention to the criticism, all of that, and then all of a sudden it's over and it's like, oh, I can just go on a beach somewhere. I can play golf or whatever it is that you like. And then after a few months that you go, man, I need something else. And that's what it comes down to. And I think that's why we've seen some people get into it who otherwise you would have thought never would have, not because they need a job, but because they need something to do. So from that standpoint, I think that Alex Rodriguez would be wonderful, but I do think it plays a role in why national broadcasters are criticized so intensely in the postseason is because for six months, fans are used to one tone of a broadcast, and all of a sudden, when the games are at their most important, they sound totally different, and they miss Dan McLaughlin. They miss John Kelly. You right. know, they, right. they, they, they miss John Kelly, Darren Pang, Brad Thompson, right. Jim Edmonds, whomever it is, that's who they miss. And that's across the country for those teams. These games are the most important ones. And now all of a sudden you have Bob Costas screaming when the opposition hits exactly. a home run. Yeah, that's a big part. I think that's why probably Joe Buck got so much of it. Yes. Not probably, 100% why Joe Buck got so much of it is because you're so used to, you know, your broadcasters being not somber, but delivering opposing teams runs in a certain way and through the lens of a cardinal fan also right. even if it's right. a case of two on and, and one out you know what what Ali Marmol might want to look at doing here 
it's a different thing when yep. it's the national broadcasters. Yeah. You kind of feel like they're your friends, they're your peers, they're the voice of comfort. And now it's the postseason and there's more edge to it. So I think that is a huge factor in it. But for Bob Costas to experience criticism, uh, I thought he was kind of above reproach. All right, uh, Action Jackson, it's time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrario are up next. For Action Jackson, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.